0: Father, we love you, and we thank you that even in the midst of the chaos and the suffering of this world, even when we don't have answers, God, we can come to you. And when we don't understand, or when we're angry with you, or when our faith falters, we can still come to you. And you won't turn us away, and you won't be angry with us, but you'll draw us to you. You'll hold us, so Father holds His children, so Lord, I, I don't know who needs to hear this besides me, but I pray that your spirit would work, and that this message would go wherever it needs to go. all for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So to embark on this topic of trusting God in difficulty, I think it's valuable for us to understand that suffering and evil in the world are not a result of God. In other words, it is not his fault. And so there's a few key points that I would like to make regarding that. Number one, suffering is universal. And it actually points to God's existence. Um, if anybody tells you um, that they've never experienced anything painful or negative or whatnot, they are probably um, a sociopath. Uh, not just a liar, <laughs> but a sociopath. Because uh, we all go through stuff, as is famously quoted in the Princess Bride, um, Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who tells you different is selling something. But without suffering and evil, we would have no idea that there was good and right in the world. And this is not, of course, the reason that suffering exists. We're going to talk about more of that in a moment. However, we all know that life is unfair. It's unjust. And there's times when everything seems wrong. However... We can only know this because there is goodness, fairness, and justice in the world. And we only know about goodness, fairness, and justice because God is real. In other words, in order for us to know that something is unfair, unjust, or evil, we must know what is fair, what is just, and what is good. And we can only know this because God has revealed it to us. And we have to compare the state of things as they are with the state of things as they ought to be. I'll say that one again. We have to compare the state of things as they are with the state of things as they ought to be. In other words, we can look at the sinful world we live in and compare it to what God intended. And this is not what God intended. Suffering and evil are not God's fault because they entered our world as a result of sin. You can go back and read Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. You can focus on chapter 3. When, of course, Adam, through his sinful choice, brought sin into the world, uh, corrupting the perfection that God had made. And today it remains the same. God is not the source of suffering and evil. It exists because we live in a fallen and sinful world and because of the sinful choices of human beings. Now, I want this to be taken as a general statement. It's not meant to point out that every time you suffer, you've done something wrong, or every time something painful happens to you, you deserve it. We know that that's not true but in the general sense suffering and evil are in the world because of sin so then we have to ask the question why does God allow suffering right? God does not cause suffering but he clearly allows it because we've all suffered and we're all children of God and I think there are two answers to this the first is that God will allow his children to suffer the consequences of their own mistakes. Hebrews twelve six through 11 talks about how we should not despise the chastening of the Lord. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Um, I've experienced that on more than one occasion where I've done something foolish or disobedient and God chastened me. The second reason, which is kind of more the overarching reason, is ultimately because of free will. People can make sinful choices because God gave us free will. God gave us free will so that we could choose to love and obey him, or we could choose not to. In Joshua 24, 15, Joshua told the people of Israel, choose this day whom you will serve. If it's going to be the gods of the land, fine. But if it's going to be the Lord your God, fine, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And of course, our own disobedience or the, the sinful choices of other people can lead to suffering as well. God will allow trials, which is not the same, in order to develop our character and trust in him. Romans 5, 3-5 through 5 tells us that. But God will not tempt us to sin, as James 1 tells us, And he will always give us a way to escape sin, as 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us. Number four, and I think this is the one that a lot of people don't tend to think about when they think about their own suffering. Because when we're suffering and we're in pain, we become very um, inwardly focused. And we have to remember that God has experienced suffering just as we have. In Hebrews two seventeen and 18, it says it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that we, so that he, sorry, could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. There's nothing that we will ever go through that he has not gone through. And then some. He's been betrayed. He's been lied about. He's been falsely accused. He was falsely arrested. He was murdered for crimes he didn't commit, for our crimes, but still. He was hungry. He knew what it was like to be lonely. He knew what it was like To be overwhelmed. And he knew all of it. And he did that on purpose so that we could have a merciful and faithful high priest. Number five, if you're taking the notes, suffering and evil are not God's will. God is sovereign, and since God is sovereign, and his sovereign will will always be accomplished, many people wrongly assume that the suffering in the world is a reflection of God's will. And the truth is that God hates to see people suffer. That's not what he created us for. Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 32 and 33. And I say this a lot, but if you are unfamiliar with the book of Lamentations, you need to spend time there. It's a wonderful book says this, though he brings grief, he also shows compassion because of the greatness of his unfailing love. For he does not enjoy hurting people or causing them sorrow. We know from the book of Ezekiel that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. This is not what he wants. Suffering and evil exist as he allows human beings to choose. But we also must remember that God chose to send Jesus to die for our sins. And Jesus chose to be obedient to his Father so that he could give us the promise of an eternal life after this world where there is no suffering when we believe in him. Number six, God cares about our suffering. Psalm 34, 18 and 19 says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves Such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. And you know, we we take a verse like that and we go, well, the Bible promises me deliverance, but I'm still dealing with this, that, or the other thing. Where's my deliverance? Where's my promise? That deliverance doesn't necessarily mean now. That deliverance doesn't even necessarily mean here. But ultimately... He will deliver us out of all of it. And he's promised us in Revelation 21 verse 4 that he will wipe away every tear. So now this is the last one, and this is the one that, um, I mean, a lot of people struggle with, but is really uh, it makes me think. What if the suffering or evil has no obvious explanation? right if, if if somebody lies about you and you lose your job easy to explain if a loved one betrays you or or a best friend betrays your confidence easy to explain if you do something stupid and the consequences come easy to explain but what happens if it's not the direct result of a sinful choice that i made or the sinful choice that somebody else made. And this will happen. I've sat in hospitals before with families and had them look at me and say, why? And I don't know. There will be things we cannot explain and that we don't understand. And when this happens, that's where trust comes in. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. So two questions. What does it mean to trust God and how do we do it? You ever had somebody do that? Well, you know, you just need to have faith, brother. Thanks. Thanks. Very helpful. I know I need to have faith. So not just that we do, but we're going to spend some time talking about how. So first, what does it mean to trust God? To trust is to believe in the reliability... Don't you hate it when a good sentence goes bad? To trust is to believe in the reliability, truth, Ability or strength of something. So, when it comes to trusting in God, that means we believe in His reliability. We believe in His word, which is truth. We believe in His ability and His strength. And the Bible says that God cannot lie, it says that He always keeps His promises, that He loves us, that He has good in store for us. And trusting in Him means that we believe what He says about Himself. About the world, and what he says about us—that we believe those things are true. Trusting God is much more than a feeling. Oh, I've—I've I've heard so many people, but well, they were disappointed in God because, well, you know, I was—I was—I was believing in God, and you know, and, and then I got sad, and and then it didn't happen right away. Now I—I I don't believe in God at all, huh? The moment we trust in our feelings, we are in so much trouble. Trusting in God is a choice. It's a choice to have faith in what he says, even when our feelings and circumstances would have us believe something different. Trusting God is not about ignoring our feelings or ignoring reality. It's not pretending that everything's okay when it isn't. Trusting God is living a life of belief in and obedience to God, even when it's difficult. If you remember back, Jesus told the parable of the sower. A sower went out to sow and he sowed his seed and some fell on rocky soil, or rocky ground, and uh, the birds of the air came and snatched it up. Others fell on other soil, but wasn't deep. The roots didn't go deep. So when they grew up, as soon as the sun hit them, they were done. Then others fell on soil and grew up amongst the tares. And then finally fell on the good soil and produced a crop. And if I remember correctly, it's the tares. When the cares of this world choke out our fruitfulness because it is isn't it it's really easy to be distracted it's really easy to allow a horrible situation to completely derail us for some of us it's really easy to allow something that's not all that horrible to derail us depends on the person depends on the day So then we have to talk about how do we trust God in the midst of horrible circumstances? Well, when we trust God, we bring everything to him, knowing that he cares about every single detail of our lives. And we can trust his will, even when we don't understand our circumstances. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. There's that one line in that song that when I can't, Cast my cares. Have you ever been there? Where it's so bad, you you don't even feel like you can lay them down before God. Psalm 56.8. This is the New Living Translation, but I really like this verse. Psalm 56.8. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. I really like that. One of the common misconceptions about Christianity or about faith in God is that while we bring God the big stuff and we'll handle the little stuff, well, the moment we try to handle the little stuff, it becomes big stuff that we're going to have to bring to God anyway, so we might as well bring it to him while it's little. We can do this because this is what Jesus did. Mark 14, 34 to 36, this, of course, is the night... Uh, when he was in the garden the night that he was betrayed, the night before his crucifixion. We read, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to his disciples, Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba Father, he said, Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And and those, I, I I'm not Jesus. And I don't know. uh, I know that he was so distressed he was sweating great drops of blood. Luke tells us that. I know that he never had any intention of being disobedient to the Father. But I can't imagine he didn't struggle with what he was about to face, at least in his humanity. And I also know how hard it is to pray that prayer. I've done it and not gotten my way in the end. On more than one occasion. And it's one of those things later on in life, you might see it and go, huh, thank you, Lord. Other times you don't. At least not yet. So that's why. That's what it means to trust God. But we have to talk about how how do we do this practically? Oh, just just believe, brother, and you'll be fine. Shut up. <laughs> um, I, I guess I've never been quite that coarse with somebody. Uh, you all know, most of you anyway, know most of my struggles because I'm very open about it. I had somebody, somebody uh, nobody who's sitting here, I promise. And this was quite a few years ago. Uh, but I was in the midst of very serious um, depressive state somebody looked at me and said "Well, why can't you just be happy the litany of swear words that went through my head would have embarrassed uh, Samuel L. Jackson and I just smiled and said I don't know and walked away but that's not how it works Thankfully, God doesn't tell us to trust in him without giving us practical ways to do it. Number one. And by the way, I told you I borrowed some of this. These seven practical ways to trust God came from uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. Altered a little bit. uh, Some of the scriptures I changed and whatnot. But still, the basic one through seven that I'm about to share with you I straight up stole. I guess it's not stealing or plagiarism if you admit it, right? Cite your resources. There you go. Number one, seek truth in Scripture. That is the biggest way we can trust God. If you start reading through the Bible, um, you know we're we're about to get into when we get back to 1 Samuel, uh, Lord willing, next week. We'll uh not too long down the road, we'll start looking at David. David and Goliath, David and Saul, David fleeing to the wilderness, David's wife betraying him, so on. I mean, just on and on and on and on. And you look at this and you go, you know, I think if I was in David's spot, I might have uh cashed it in. I might have thrown in the towel, I might have given up, I might have left Israel. I might who knows? I don't know that I could have done that for 20 years waiting on the promise of God. But as we read it, what do we find? Well, eventually, every single promise that God made to David came to pass, all the way down through Jesus Christ. And so we can read that and go, well, we can look at it as a nice story, or we can accept it as a true account, which is what it is. And go, well, if God did that for David, he can do that for me. And somebody might say, yeah, but but you're a sinner and you've made mistakes. Yeah, read about David. There's a reason I love David so much. I have done a lot of things. I have never slept with another man's wife and then killed the man to hide it. Now, that doesn't mean I'm less of a sinner than David, but somewhere in the back of my mind, I comfort myself. that that I've never done that in Proverbs 30 verse 5 it says every word of God is pure he is a shield to those who put their trust in him Psalm 119 49 and 50 remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope this is my comfort in my affliction for your word has given me life I love that prayer because we have the word and we can open the word and we can read the promises of God and then we can pray this prayer. All right, Lord, this is what your book says. Now, please remember your word to your servant because it's your word that has caused me to hope. It's my comfort and my affliction and your word has given me life. We can pray that prayer. Number two, confess your unbelief. And I think it's important that we're honest with God. When I was a young Christian, I was, well, dumb. And I didn't know what I know now. And hopefully 20 years from now, I'll be able to say that about this point in time in my life. But I used to think that if I didn't pray it, God didn't know it. Because, yeah, I was an idiot. Right? And and we talked about that recently, that there's nothing hidden from God. He knows it all. So we should be honest with him. We know his character. We know his faithfulness. And even when we know his character and his faithfulness, there's times we're going to struggle. This is illustrated by one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Mark chapter 9. Man brought his son to Jesus. He was demon-possessed, and he looked at Jesus and he said, If you can, could you do something for us? And it depends on on which version of the Bible you look at, but the New Living Translation is one of my favorites of translating that passage, because he says, What do you mean, if I can? Don't you believe? that I can do this? And then replied in verse 24, I believe. Help my unbelief. And I remember the day, it was probably about 10 years ago, give or take, maybe a little longer, when that verse hit me for the first time. And I went, wait a second. I'm allowed to tell God that I have doubts? I'm allowed to tell God that I'm afraid? I'm allowed to tell God that I'm struggling to trust him in the middle of this. I'm really allowed to do that? And this father from 2,000 years ago screamed back, I believe, but help my unbelief. He already knows. And it is very good for us to recognize it in ourselves. Number three share your concerns with your community. Five simple words. Never face your difficulties alone. Never face your difficulties alone. This is exactly what our enemy wants. Why does the shepherd leave the 99 to go after the one? Because frankly, the 99 are much better protected they have each other whereas the one is exposed and vulnerable do you think it's any different with us and again i've done this for a long time and i have seen many people go through difficulty and break off fellowship they don't want to answer phone calls or texts they stop coming to church because that's exactly what Satan wants. Especially when it's sin. Oh, Satan loves it. Really, you're going to walk in that building and tell them all what you did? Well, you don't necessarily have to go up front and tell everybody. You've just got to tell somebody. Otherwise, boy, he's just going to pick you off. Paul wrote to Philemon, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. I love that. And then James 5, 13, and 16. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And honestly, um, and I don't think it's the case in this church, but I think in the big C church overall, I don't think James five thirteen through 16 is practiced because so many people are afraid of judgment. So many people are afraid of, uh, uh, you know, well, I'm not going to go tell my pastor that I'm struggling in this, that, or the other thing, because then they'll know. Well, first off, God already knows. And if your pastor has half a brain and has talked to you recently, he probably knows too. Just saying. God tends to give us discernment. So we don't do it alone. We just never should do it alone. Number four, remember God and spend time with him. God is always faithful, and I think suffering can have one of two consequences. It can drive us away from God, which is our enemy's intent, right? Like the last one, it can drive us away from fellowship with our brothers and sisters, but it can also drive us away from God, or it can drive us to him, which is why we can, Come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4.16. I don't know why we would do anything else. Being in the word, being in prayer, being in worship, being in fellowship are all vital to navigating difficult times. Number five, I don't like this one. I'm just telling you straight up, I don't like this one. Look for things to be grateful for. Just like the person who told me, well, why can't you just be happy? Is when I'm going through something difficult and says, somebody will tell me, okay, well, most people know me better than this now, but somebody will look at well can't you just think of something to be grateful for? Yeah, you getting hit by a bus. <laughs> I'd be grateful for that. Okay, I've never said that out loud. And I think it's difficult for us. At least, I don't want to generalize it's difficult for me. Um, I am very good at focusing on the negative. Very, very good at it. Um, if you see me being cheery, if you see me being trying to be encouraging, if you see me um, looking at the glass as half full instead of half empty, know that that is intentional effort on my part because it's usually not what I feel like. Right? I'm not going to say I'm lying, but is it, it, I, it, I have to make an intentional effort to see things that way. But it's what we're commanded to do. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, a piece of advice. Don't quote that verse to somebody who's going through the ringer. (laughs) There's other verses. Other verses to quote. I've shared some of them today. Don't, you know what? I know grandpa died, but you should just rejoice in all circumstances. That's probably the response you deserve. It doesn't change the fact that we can be. Something that I practice. You all know I journal when I pray. And once every couple weeks, give or take, um, I will spend an entire morning just going through all the things I'm thankful for. I won't ask God for anything. Uh, I won't pray for anybody. No no offense. But I will just spend an entire time of prayer, and sometimes I'll fill two, three, four pages of my journal when I really sit down and start to think about who he is, all he's done for me, everything that I have. Just so you know, you're all in that couple of you a little higher than others, but you're still all on the list. But I think when we make that intentional effort, we will find things. And I'm not saying to compare. That's a bad idea. Well, at least I don't have it as bad as, you know, so-and-so. Now, don't do that. And don't minimize your pain because of what somebody else is going through that may appear to be worse It was a conversation I had today is that well I I feel bad because I feel bad but I'm not going through what the other person is going through I'm like no your pain is different your trauma is different your experience is different but don't you dare Minimize what you're going through because it looks like what somebody else is going through is worse. And don't minimize it because God hasn't minimized it. If you care about it, so does he. Number six, walk in the Holy Spirit. Feelings of hopelessness, worry, anxiety, fear, and others can lead us to feel alone. It can lead us to make bad decisions in the midst of our suffering. I have learned um, and I practice this fairly well, except for my relationship with Amazon, um, that I do not make decisions when I am going through a depressive episode i don 't um, those decisions will be bad, and so i won 't do it um, while I say that doesn 't apply to Amazon as I do tend to buy things i don 't need. Um, because I feel like, and it's so dumb. We all know control is an illusion. But I feel like when, when everything else is spiraling out of control, I can go on Amazon and buy something. And I have some semblance of control over that. And then the shipping is late. And, yeah. I know better. We're told in John fourteen, twenty six, But the advocate... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Being close to God by recognizing his presence with us through the Holy Spirit can help us through. Not only does the presence of God through his Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us help us with things like feeling alone or feeling hopeless or being fearful, but the Holy Spirit can also and does also, when we listen, keep us from doing anything dumb. Uh, I can't remember exactly how the quote goes, but it's something along the lines that you should not make permanent decisions based on temporary emotions. And it's very wise. Finally, this is another one I have a hard time with. Wait on the Lord. It's not easy to do. I, um, I honestly think that I have made impatience a sport or an art form. I, I don't know. I, I really think I am better at being impatient than just about anybody. Uh, I'm not saying this because I'm proud of it. I would love to be a patient person. And patient people drive me insane. But when I look at somebody, they're like, eh, "God's got it; it'll be fine." I, I don't, I'm like, "Just no! how." If I could suck it out of your brain and stick it into mine, I would. But I don't. I don't have that. And I, I, I was remember, I told you when I was a young Christian, I was an idiot. I used to pray for patience. I stopped doing that. When we wait on the Lord, we know that he hears us, we know that he strengthens us, and we know that we're not alone. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not grow weary, and they shall walk and not faint. It's Isaiah forty thirty one, Psalm 34, 17. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. We wait on the Lord, not because we think he's going to change his mind, not because we hope that, you know, the circumstances are just going to resolve themselves. We wait on the Lord because we know he's at work, because we know from his word that somehow, Even if we can't see it, we're going to get to the other side. So as we close, I'm going to say a word about what do we do when trust falters. What happens if we intentionally execute all seven of those steps and we find that we still have doubt or that we're still afraid or that that we're still struggling to trust him? Well, then we need to remember that God loves us, that he will sustain us, that he will provide for us, that he will be with us even in the midst of these difficulties, especially in the midst of these difficulties. Jesus promised us that we would face hard times in John 16.33. He also promised us that he would always be with us in Matthew 28.20 and the word also promises us that nothing in all of creation can ever separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8:31 through 39. Psalm 34:17 one more time. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. And we know that in all things God works together for good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And I'll leave you with this little bit of encouragement, I think, I hope. Because we're not always going to understand. We're not always going to see the end. We're not always going to get the answer. We're not always going to be miraculously delivered out of our circumstances. That's not how it works. But we will never face them alone. We will never face them apart from the presence of our loving Father. We will never face them in any way like that unless we choose to. so we have to choose wisely. Be in the Word. Confess your weakness. Confess and and share your struggles with brothers and sisters in Christ who can encourage you and hold you up. Look for something good. I know it sucks, but do it anyway. (laughs) And in the end, He will come through. I know it. And I can say that because I'm still here. And if he had ever failed to come through in my life, I wouldn't be here. So there you go. I learned a new word today called hagiology. It's a stupid word. Um, Has nothing to do with this. Something else. Hagiology is is the... uh, it's, this, it's the idea that we can believe in God because we see him working in someone's life. Um, so, as we see God working in each other's lives, we can celebrate the hagiology. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your great faithfulness. And we thank you, God, that you will never fail us. Father, when we don't understand, give us peace. When we're hurting, give us comfort. When we're struggling, remind us of who you are and all you do. Let us always look to your word for hope. Let us always trust in your presence and power through your Holy Spirit to walk out those things and those times in our lives. And in all things, may we glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.